Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or, if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Amen. So, for me, let me just say welcome. If you're just joining, a few of you don't recognize, I'm Brandon, pastor here of this English service, and uh, thank you, Mario, for reading that text. It's a powerful text, and let me just actually begin by saying uh, that I know we all came in here from different places, different walks of life, different experiences that we're going through in our lives, and I, just, I feel like it's really important as we read a text like this, that it doesn't matter what you're doing, what you have going on, what things are been kind of happening to you or through you, whether you're dealing with suffering or difficulty or trial, or maybe you're facing a big life decision that's right at your doorstep and you're not sure what to do next, or maybe it's just how you see the way of the world right now, per either personally or looking around at all of the uncertainties and confusion that seems to be happening especially if we scroll through a newsreel. This is a text for you. This is a text for all of us. It's so encouraging. It's a powerful and incredibly encouraging promise given to us by Jesus himself. And so I just want to encourage you to really be perking your ears and paying attention because this is something that I think we lose sight of. And it's something that we've maybe heard before but have forgotten. And I know I joke about this a lot for those of you who do come regularly uh, about getting excited, but if there is any text that you should be getting excited about, this is definitely one of them. The truth of this text, the promise of this text is something to say amen to. Amen? Amen. All right. That's a good start. So we know that Jesus doesn't lie. We know that Jesus doesn't lie. And when he gives us a promise... It is something that we can trust in. It's something that we can lean on and believe in and hope in. The promises of Jesus are true no matter what. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what's happening outside in the world, his promises are true no matter what. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And his word is as real as he is. And so it's something we can rest in. And so when Jesus says, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find knock and the door will be opened, you better believe it's true. It's something that we can believe. Now, of course, what I love about this text, specifically when it comes to Jesus' promises, is that he really wants you to get it. But he also knows our human nature and how easily we forget and how quickly we fall into doubt and unbelief, thinking, oh, this doesn't apply to me. Jesus isn't concerned about my needs or my situation. This can't be true for everyone. Surely not everybody uh, is answered by God. What, I might be the exception to the rule here. Knowing our hearts, knowing how we wrestle with doubts, he literally gives us the promise back to back doubled so that it really sinks in a little bit. 
Ask and it will be given. And then right after that, for everyone who asks, receives. Seek and you will find. And then right after that, for the one who seeks, finds. Knock and the door will be open. And then right after that, for the one who knocks, the door will be opened. He repeats it. He doubles down back to back to give us the same promise twice to make sure we get it. And if Jesus repeats himself, we should pay attention. He doesn't do it unless there's a reason. And it's because he wants us to understand this promise. Because his promises are true. Now that's the foundation for what we're going to be looking at today. But we do want to understand exactly what is being promised when Jesus says these things. And to understand the context of this promise so that we can believe it, rest in it, trust in it, and apply it to our lives. Because there's always blessing in the promises of God. We want to receive that blessing. We want to say yes and amen to the promises of God. We want to understand exactly what it is we're saying amen to. So to best understand it, let's first think about where this promise is given to us in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. If you're just joining us, we've been going all the way through the Sermon on the Mount. We're getting very close to the end. He's actually, I would say, this is almost the, the end of really his teaching. After this, he's going to be going into basically looking at the difference between those who believe the truth and those who don't. And he's going to give us a few examples of that. So really coming to the pinnacle here. So we want to maybe think about the context of where this is in the Sermon on the Mount. When we start to think about it like that, and we take a step back and look at the whole sermon, which we won't do today, I promise. I can just do a full recap today. Uh, it becomes clear, though, why this passage is where it is and what this promise might really be saying to us in our life and how we can really apply it in a direct way considering where it's located, that this is a flow of speech that he's giving us in the Sermon on the Mount. And I think we need to reflect a little bit that, or remind ourselves that the Sermon on the Mount is not the gospel. The Sermon on the Mount is not the gospel. What I mean by that is if you do everything that Jesus commands perfectly in the Sermon on the Mount and you live this perfect moral life by the standards given in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it's not going to save you. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by what we do. That's not enough. And, of course, it's impossible. It's impossible in our own strength to live by this standard. The reality is, as we look through some of the things that Jesus has shown us in the sermon so far, if we look at it simply in our minds and separate from our relationship with God and the power of the Holy Spirit that's changing us, which we saw in the Beatitudes, which is this new character we're given through Christ, uh, we can feel condemned. In fact, we should feel condemned if we're really paying attention to what he's actually calling us to, what the standard he's calling us to, to live without hatred and to be forgiving of all, even our enemies, to not judge others and yet to be discerning as we looked at last week when Sam preached. It's always to always be true to our word, to let our yes be yes and our no be no in every situation, never, not even the smallest lie. And if we're honest, most of us are very guilty of breaking that to not have any lust in our heart, to not build up treasure for ourselves here on earth, to not hold too tightly to the possessions of this world, but to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven, to live in humility, not being concerned or overly concerned with how others see us or perceive us, for better or worse, but to live only to the glory of God and in the sight of our heavenly Father, to never worry about tomorrow, to never be burdened or 
to fall into doubt with all of the what-if questions that can plague our minds, but rather to be in surrender completely, to trust wholly in our Heavenly Father. These are just to name a few of the things that we've looked at throughout this series on the Sermon on the Mount. And if you think about this, really, think about it. And you think about who you are, when I think about who I am, who we are, we can be pretty quick to see how far we fall short from the standard that Jesus Christ is setting for us here. And we're forced then into this place of wondering, what do I do with this? How am I supposed to live this way? How can I see these changes really manifest in my life? I need help. And this is where we find our text at the end of all of this that he's laid out before us. It brings us to this wonderful, encouraging truth found in our text that when we are faced with the reality of how short we fall from the glory of God and yet we have a genuine longing, a desire to see that change in our life, to be who God's called us to be, a hunger for righteousness, to be pure in heart, to be meek, to be peaceable, this promise is perfectly placed. As we come close to the conclusion of Jesus' sermon, as our hearts are heavy with all the areas in our life where we see our failures, where we fall short, we are not left in condemnation, but we are lifted up with promise. That's where this is. That's where this text is in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. I know it's used a lot. It's quoted a lot. But that's where it's found so that we may be lifted up with promise that we can ask, we can seek, and we can knock. And as we do, we are promised to be given what we ask, to find what we seek, and to have the door we knock on swing open. So then the question is, what is the greatest desire of your heart? What do you ask for? What do you seek? What do you seek after more than anything else? And what door do you most long to see opened? Is your greatest desire to see God glorified in your life? Do you long to seek after him day after day? And is the place that you long to be most of all in the presence of God? I know that if we're honest with ourselves, most of us would probably have to say, well, no, not really. Or at least, if we're honest, not always. That is not always what I seek. That is not always what I hope to ask God for, what I hope, the doors that I hope to see opened in my life. And this is why this is such an amazing promise because when we belong to him, we can ask, we can seek, and we can knock, and we are promised to receive what we are looking for. But then, what does it really amount to? What do we actually do? What does that mean? What's the practicality of this? Well, let's break it down into the three actions of asking and seeking and knocking. And to put it all in a nutshell, as simple as we possibly can, it comes down to prayer. It comes down to prayer. So if you have no prayer life, you're not asking, you're not seeking, and you're not knocking. It's prayer. I read this quote 
kind of brings it all together, and I think this is really applying specifically to prayer. Ask with confidence and humility. Seek with care and application. Knock with earnestness and perseverance. And in that, we also see, and I think we can see that with the ask, seek, and knock, a natural progression of earnestness, right? A growing hunger. It's a little bit, it's one thing to ask. It's another thing to be banging on a door. So we see a bit of a progression. So first, we ask. We ask, meaning we simply make our request known to God. We make our request known to Him. Now, we know that when we do, when we bring our request to God, when we come and ask Him for anything, He already knows what we're asking for. He already knows what we need. He already knows what we're going to be bringing before Him. But the action of coming to God in prayer and expressing what we need, this is an active faith. This is an active faith. The simple action of prayer is an active faith and trust in the knowledge that we know where our help truly comes from. We know where our help comes from. It comes from the Lord. And so I will go to Him first and ask. And now we certainly can ask God for anything. We can ask Him for anything. There's nothing that we can't ask Him for. And He always answers. But as my parents used to tell me when I was a kid, uh, He doesn't always say yes as a humbling reminder. If we are asking God to be working in our hearts, if we are asking him to be molding us daily into the image of Christ, we will always receive, always, always. And if we're asking God for a brand new car or a brand new base, uh, he may not always grant us that request. He may not always say yes. And you can think, well, what does that mean? What, how, do we, what do we, how do we compromise that? Well, this comes to light when we examine the real application of this promise given through the example or the comparison of an earthly father or parent. So let's read verse 9 through 11 again. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then Though you are evil, that's you, that's all of humanity, falls into that category. He is the only one that is exempt from that. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, let that sink into you, into your hearts and your minds a bit, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I know maybe some of you are, some of you probably aren't uh, parents yet, uh, but I get that you can probably imagine to get the point of what he's trying to say. And let me say, as a parent, the reality has really weighed heavy on my heart as I really thought about this throughout the week. Because I love my children very much, and I want to bless them. I want to give them good things. I certainly want to give them the things they need, right? Like, I want them to be fed when they're hungry, to be clothed when they're cold, to be sheltered from the elements. And in all that I do as a father and everything I attempt to provide, I know that I fail. I know that I am not perfect. And so what's amazing is the comparison that Jesus gives us. Jesus gives us really the limits of our own imagination to imagine what he really means when he says, how much more? He doesn't give us a direct 
comparison and to show us how much more. But he says, if this is how, if you know this much, how much more will your heavenly father, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask? Because he is a perfect father. How much more? He's so much greater than any earthly father that any of us could ever know or have known. He's certainly better than myself. And on the other side, this gives us context to ask the question, what is a good gift? What is a good gift? How many of you have asked God for something consistently, but you didn't get it? You didn't get what you were asking for. You didn't, you didn't get that answer. You didn't get that thing you needed. You didn't get into that, that, that door didn't open. You didn't get into that uh, program or whatever it might be. You didn't get that job. So what does that mean? Is the promise then not true? Is the promise then not true? He said, ask whatever you ask, you'll receive. So many times I thought I knew what I needed from God. So many times I thought I knew what to ask. And I prayed and didn't receive. But I can tell you, more than a few times I see now that he is a good God. And he is a good father. And he gives good gifts. And sometimes a good gift is no gift. Sometimes it's better not to get everything we ask for. And as I said, I love my children. And they like to ask me for all kinds of stuff. But I don't give them everything they ask for. And if I, being evil... If I, being human, who is not a perfect father, know enough sense that it's not good to give my children everything they ask for, to let them just watch TV whenever they want or eat gummies for dinner, never go to bed when, they're not, when they don't want to, I would not be a very good father. Probably my children would be taken away if that was my standard of parenting. We know that's not, that's not good parenting. And God is a good father. How much more? So how much more will our Heavenly Father give good gifts to us? Good gifts. Meaning, when we put our trust in Him, when we really are putting our trust in Him, and when we are bringing our request to Him, we can know, if we see Him as He truly is, as a loving Father, we can know that whatever we receive is exactly what we needed. It's exactly what is the good gift. It's what's for our best. There's a quote I read that I've, I've liked for a long time. It says that we, if we knew everything God knows, we would always ask for exactly what we receive. Even things that are difficult, even hardships, difficult situations, not getting that thing that we thought we wanted. If we knew what God knew, We'd always ask for exactly what he gives us, knowing that he knows what, what will come from it. He knows where he's leading us. He knows what's going to, crumb, to grow from it and how we are going to grow through it sometimes. So we need to ask, and we can ask him for anything, and we can ask him for everything. But we also need to know that he will not give us evil gifts. He's a good father. 
He's a good father. And he will always give us what is for our best. Even when things in this world come against us, and they will, that is something we are promised. This world will come against us. He promises that he will work them out for our good. He works it out for good. All those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He has a purpose in it. Sometimes the only way, though, for us to really understand that, because it's a big thing to try to understand, we won't get in too deep here, but the best way for us to understand that is to keep an eternal perspective in mind. If, you, if you're only thinking about this week and a few bad things happened in that week, and that's your whole spectrum of thought, then it's just a bad week. But if you take a step back, sometimes things become a little bit more clear. And so if we take the step way back and think about an eternal perspective, it becomes much more clear. And I'll just give you one quick example that I, most people will know, and that's Paul, who has the thorn in his flesh. We don't know what that is. Could have been a, uh, some kind of ailment, sickness, I don't know, maybe a really annoying coworker, as some of you might have had that thorn in your life. Whatever it was, we don't know what it was, but it was something that caused him great suffering. And he asked Jesus three times to remove it, and Jesus says, no, my grace is enough. My grace is enough. But what I want to point out, in keeping this perspective in mind, is that I know for a fact Paul does not have that thorn in his flesh anymore. He's not living in eternity with it. It was temporary. And God worked it for Paul's good in ways that I don't fully understand. Paul certainly didn't fully understand, but I bet he does now. Now he can see clearly. Now he knows how it was to work out for his good. So we have to keep that eternal perspective in mind sometimes when we don't understand the things that we're facing. We can trust our Father. And he says, even if we have to come to him and say, you know, I don't understand this, but I trust you. You are my good Father. You give good gifts, and you work things out for my good. So, Lord, may you be the one who sustains me. May you be the one who holds me up. I want to trust in you and your promises. And in this, this leads us to the next progression, which is to seek, to seek. We can ask, we also want to seek. Now, going back to this example of a father, I think, again, of my own children who are very young, two and four, and I think that it's important when we think of ourselves as God's children, that we don't think of ourselves as like teenagers, right, uh, which might you know, lead to almost a rebellion against God. We're not like that. We are to be like children in our relationship to God because we don't have as much figured out as we think. We need to come to him like children. And let me tell you something that I have seen and experienced with my own children, and I think I've seen this in children in general, is one thing that children really want, what they really want, often more than anything else, is to be loved. They want to be loved. They want attention, love, affection from mom and dad. And oh, how they seek it, sometimes in horrible ways. If they're not getting it through good ways, they'll just go start screaming until they get that attention. 
What do you seek? What do you seek? What are you really looking for in all of your requests that you bring to God? When you bring those things, those, when you're coming with your questions, you, the things that you need, whatever it is that you're asking him, what are you really seeking in that? And let's remember Jesus' words that we read uh, in the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount uh, when he tells us not to worry, which I've always found to be a fascinating thing in the world that we live in. Our world is filled with things to be worried about, struggles and things that we have to fight with constantly. And he says, hey, don't worry about it. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. There's, you don't ever need to have any worry in your life, but rather do what? What should we do? Seek first the kingdom of God. God, you guys were paying attention when we preached on that. Seek first his kingdom. And then all that other stuff will be taken care of. All these other things will be added to you. All this other stuff, will, you don't have to worry about it if you're seeking him first. So no matter what it is you're looking for, if you seek him first, not only do you find what you're looking for, which is him, but he takes care of everything else that you need. Colossians 3.1 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So if you're a Christian, and you've been then if you are a Christian, you have been given a new heart. You've been raised with Christ. We just celebrated that on Easter, and it's still the Easter season now, so it should be fresh in our minds. And as you have been raised with Christ, set your heart, your mind on the things above where Christ is. Seek after your Father through reading the Word, getting to know Him. It's His Word. Studying and meditating on the promises of God. Seek Him through prayer. This is vital. Spending time with Him. Not just when you need something, but seeking Him. It's a relationship to be cultivated and worked on. Seek Him as a child seeks the attention, the affection of a father or mother. And in that, the task, the request becomes ultimately insignificant. Right? Your kids, my, or my kids, they want to play with me. They want me to go and play Legos with them and play cars and all these things. But it's really because they want to spend time with me. They want that attention. They want that affection. So the request isn't really what it becomes about if your heart is really to seek after God, to seek Him first. It's more about the joy of simply being able to do it in the presence of your Father to do it with him, to do all things with him. Seek to do all that you do to the glory of God and in the presence of God. I can tell you, work on this in your life. This isn't in my notes, but I want to give you a couple practical things that I do in my life to try to activate this. If I'm going in, into a meeting or if I'm doing something or, and I'm, I'm kind of just getting lost in the day, I'll just say, you know what, I need to take two minutes, take three minutes, orient my heart. God, I want to do this with you. I want to do this for your glory. I want you to be with me. 
I want you to be with me when I go grocery shopping. I want you to be with me when I'm doing mundane tasks. I want everything I do to be for your glory. I want everything I do to be in your presence. I want to live my life with my Father. When you do that, it changes the way you see everything else. It changes the way you see the situations around you. It changes the way you see your own situations and conflicts. Do everything for his glory. Invite him into every moment of your day, every aspect of your life. Don't seek God as if he were some genie to grant your wishes. Now, if I spend enough time in prayer, then you owe me this, God. You know, I rub the lamp. Where's my, where's my request? I need, it, I need it answered. Seek him as one whom you love because he first loved you and you want to be with him. I think it's absolutely vital that we begin here and we grasp this. It really changes everything else. And let's make sure our ultimate goal is to seek him first, knowing that he's a good father and he will then take care of everything else. Asking is about presenting our need because we know our father is the one who has the power to provide. Seeking is about active faithfulness and cultivating a relationship with our Father. If I am seeking to know God more in my life, then it will be seen. Now, if you are occasionally asking God to do something, occasionally throwing at him to maybe change some things that you don't like about yourself because you just fell into sin and you feel guilty and you feel shame about it. And maybe you're occasionally reading the verse of the day, but you're not really reading God's word to know him. You're not spending time in prayer. You're not really seeking to know him. Then you are not really seeking. So we ask, we seek and we also knock. Let's talk about knocking. So we get to this point of really trusting God as our Father. We can be persistent in our seeking Him through prayer, like the knocking at a door. For instance, I, an example I think of quite just prevalent in my mind is when we're praying for the salvation of people that we know in our life. Friends, family, I know we all know a few people that we pray for, and we want to be consistent in that. We want to knock on that door day after day, seeking that God's presence would be at work in their life. Now, when we talk about doors, though, I do want to be clear. Christians talk about doors quite often. Um, I know the Baptists might know what I'm talking about, like this, you know, oh, I was going that direction, but God just closed the door on me, and I just don't know what I'm supposed to do now. And, it's, uh, I gave you a little bit of a southern accent there, so you're welcome. And I want to be clear of what we're talking about when Jesus is talking about this right here. That might be true sometimes. Sometimes God is saying no. But I want to be careful we talk about door uh, kind of theology here, because when Jesus talks about doors, uh, he is talking about doors that can be opened and are meant to be opened. Right. Uh, this is a quote from Spurgeon. I think he says it pretty well. Uh, his doors are meant to be open. So, bam, there you go. 
His doors are meant to be open. They were made on purpose for entrance. And so the blessed gospel of God is made on purpose for you to enter into life and peace. It would be of no use to knock at a wall, but you may wisely knock at a door, for it is arranged or designed for opening. Now, that's a good news. That's an amen moment if you were looking for one. Amen? <laughs> but I want to be clear, though. This promise is not for everyone. This promise is not for everyone. This is for the children of God. This is the last point in the sermon where he's really, or there's one more after this in verse 12, but where he's really addressing disciples. After that, he's going to address everybody so that we can kind of decipher if we are that or not. But this is a promise given for the children of God. So let me encourage you that if you are a child of God and you're struggling with anxiety or fear or doubts, man, you can, you can knock on that door. You're promised peace. You're promised peace. Not always promised that that rough situation will change overnight or go away, but you're promised peace. And you can knock on that door knowing you'll get what you are seeking. You're promised joy and love and patience. Now, if you're not experiencing these traits at some level in your life, I know there's, there's different seasons we go through, but overall, when you look back at your life, you should see these traits increasing. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, self-control. We should be seeing the fruit of the Spirit increasing in our life. This is a door we can knock on, and it is designed to be opened. And if you know that you are a child of God, then I encourage you to start asking God, to start seeking Him first, and to start knocking on the door consistently, faithfully, praying and seeking God. In Luke, uh, we see Jesus, when He is uh, giving the same pro promise here, we, uh, He gives us a more specific guarantee in Luke eleven thirteen, if you then, so it's the same example of the earthly parents, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You see, the door that we knock on ultimately is the door that brings us to that identity as children of God. The door that we're knocking on is Jesus Himself. Ultimately, he is the door. He is the way. He is the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father, meaning no one can be called a child of God except through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. But as children of God, we are then given the gift of the Holy Spirit who molds us and transforms us into the image of Christ. So if you are a child of God, seek God. Seek to know him. And you will find him. Knock on the door, knowing it will be opened. Of course, I'm not saying life will go well or that everything will be easy. Like we have to emphasize that. Sometimes we ask God to take pain away, but he doesn't. We may not always understand why. But he will give us peace that surpasses understanding. He will give us joy as we face trials of many kinds, it says in James. 
He will fill our hearts with love and grace through every situation we face. And we can ask for this over and over again. We can seek Him first, and we can knock, and His grace is always sufficient to meet our needs. In John 14, 13, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. See, God himself, our Father, is glorified when we bring our requests to him. Because it shows that we see him not as some abstract force in the universe. We see him as our Father. And we come to him as his children, knowing that he loves us and cares deeply for us. And is truly giving us good gifts to get us through this life. And ultimately, in order to receive the greatest gift that is promised to all of his children, which is eternity with him. Amen. Amen. Let me invite the band to come up as we close and I'll pray quickly. Father, I thank you that we can gather here together and call you Father. What a tremendous honor that the Lord of lords, the King of kings, creator of the universe, calls us sons and daughters. I pray that you would help us to see you as Father, to seek you first in our life, to cultivate that relationship we have with you, to love you and to rely on you, and to receive the good gifts that you give us and promise us as we seek after you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.